This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. In the late 19th century, Mark Twain told us, it's easier to fool people than to convince them that they've been fooled. That has been proven to be true over and over and over again. As we watch Rupert Murdoch and his precious Fox News burn, I can't help but think about their audience and wonder, will the truth ever reach them? And if so, will they even care? In retrospect, it is clear the 2020 election was a grave betrayal of American democracy. Given the facts that have since emerged about that election, no honest person can deny it. New evidence in the Dominion voting machine case was unsealed late Tuesday, and while bits and pieces had already been made public, the hundreds of pages of new material are fucking staggering. Between depositions, testimony, private texts, and emails, Fox has endured one fucking humiliation after another. And in the private communications now made public, we find proof that the network's producers, their stars and executives, even Rupert Murdoch himself, all knew that the claims that they were broadcasting about the 2020 election were false and at times unhinged. But they stuck with their bullshit story anyway, and now they're headed to court next month. At stake are billions of dollars, but more importantly, reputations are on the line. And I'm talking to you, fucker Carlson. Tell the truth. Let reality be your guide. But before I get into the details of what has been discovered in the Dominion filing, I want to read to you the statement that Fox put out in response, and I quote, Thanks to today's filings, Dominion has been caught red-handed using more distortions and misinformation in their PR campaign to smear Fox News and trample on free speech and freedom of the press. The statement then goes on. We already know that they will say and do anything to try to win this case. End quote. No, Fox News will do and say anything to win their case, including blaming their victims. Also, no surprise, is their whole free speech argument. I mean, people always claim that their right to free speech has been violated when they've been caught lying. But the type of behavior to continue to do what you know is wrong and inherently a lie, I think, isn't that isn't that the definition of sociopath? Fox News has said that they are, quote, proud of our 2020 election coverage. I mean, really? which stands in the highest tradition of American journalism. I mean, whatever. Fox had the audacity to claim that Dominion filed their lawsuit only to garner headlines and are claiming that if they go down behind this defamation lawsuit, it will be bad for journalism in general. They're trying to say that freedom of the press will be hurt if Fox is held accountable. But nothing could be further from the truth. Dominion argues, and correctly, that the First Amendment does not allow media outlets to broadcast conspiracy theories that they know are fucking false. A Fox CEO now caught on tape saying, if we hadn't called Arizona accurately, our ratings would have been higher. And she gives away the game by saying that it was bad that Fox's elections expert told the truth about Arizona, saying, again, from this newly leaked call, that his job was not to do accurate election coverage, it was to, quote, protect the brand. The Fox legal team is grounding its defense in a claim that it was just reporting allegations made by the most newsworthy public official of all, then President Donald Trump, 
One Fox attorney said, we don't suppress the speech that we don't think is right. No, they just say whatever the fuck that they have to so that they can get ratings and make money and hope that things like this lawsuit just don't happen. You know, this is so embarrassing for Fox News. If they want to keep their shit quiet, they should do what the crack dealers do. Use a payphone. Apparently, there were plans to denounce the big lie. I mean, yeah. On January 5th of 2020, there were emails and texts exchanged between hosts and management saying, and I quote, Maybe we should take a stand. Maybe we should tell them Biden won. You think? But the calculus wasn't do anything to piss Trump off. No, nobody wanted to deal with that. So they sat on their fucking hands and guess what happened next? As previously reported, Fox was in crisis because viewers wanted to hear the lies about the election or they were going to go elsewhere for their entertainment. I'm not going to call it news because it just isn't. Publicly, Rupert Murdoch's network has been totally supportive of the former president and his election lies, but private messages from November of 2020 show Murdoch fretting that the ex-president was going increasingly mad. Increasingly mad. <laughs> I mean, I'm just curious, uh, Rupi, at what point in his madness might it occur to you to report that the most powerful man in the world has grown increasingly mad. I believe the scale goes mad, increasingly mad, inciting a coup, strangling his secret service driver, and dinner with Kanye. How much they all secretly hated Trump, I mean, it's delightful to hear. A few of Tucker's texts describing the four years of Trump's presidency are particularly interesting and good. And I quote, we're all pretending we've got a lot to show for it because admitting what a disaster it's been is too tough to digest. He wrote in another text message, but come on, there isn't really an upside to Trump. And yet in another text, he says, we are very, very close to being able to ignore Trump most nights. I truly can't wait. Well, not so fast, fucker, cause like it or not, Trump still owns your ass. I hate him passionately, Tucker texted. I can't handle much more of this. Last night, millions of Americans tuned in to one of the most shameful hours we have ever seen on cable television. With contempt for the facts, disregard of the risks, and knowing full well he was lying, lying to his audience, Fox News host Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment last night arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not a violent insurrection. It's now obvious that Carlson's twisted version of the insurrection aired this week as cover while all this shit was coming out. He knew his audience would happily tune in to own the libs and make light of killing cops with him. But even some Republicans saw Tucker's little Capitol riot makeover as a bridge too far. I think it's bullshit. I was here, I was down there, and I saw maybe a few tourists, a few people who got caught up in things, but when you see police barricades breached, when you see police officers assaulted, all of that, or you had to be in close proximity to it, 
If you were just a tourist, you should have probably lined up at the visitor center and came in on an orderly basis. I'm also happy to report that tensions between Trump and Fox News are at an all-time high since these revelations have come out. Now, knowing Trump as I do, I'm sure Trump is butthurt because no one at Fox really likes him or liked him. So now he's going after them mercilessly on what? His Truth Social? That fucking phony fucking social network? And Steve Bannon has declared an all-out war on Rupert Murdoch and Fox. Now that's just a fucking joke. Who gives a shit about Steve Bannon? In the meantime, Murdoch is obsessed with Florida Governor Ron Meatball DeSantis and can't seem to get enough of Meatball's fucking smug face on his network. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor, great to have you back. Thank you. Good evening, Sean. Thanks for having me. There's also this news. Employees are in a panic over at Fox, wondering who screwed up and who's going to go down for it. Speak the truth against Murdoch and you'll find your head on a spike. Fox Corp reportedly put out the word that their current CEO, Suzanne Scott, is safe, at least for now. But common wisdom is that Rupert and Lachlan are setting her up to take the fall. Gaming out Murdoch's next move is probably a waste of time, and truthfully, I don't give a shit to do it. As one of his employees turned around and said, Rupert works in mysterious ways. Well, indeed he does. And here's hoping he doesn't die before justice finally catches up to him. I mean, he is one of the most destructive forces currently working against our democracy. And, in the words of fucker Carlson, I hate him passionately. But what matters the most, and it gets into your point about democracy, nothing will get better in any durable or consistent way unless we neutralize the destructive influence that Fox News has on our, on our, on our country yeah. and on our politics. And here are a few interesting bits and pieces. At CPAC last weekend, there may not have been much of a crowd, but Trump was on fire, telling the crowd that he is their retribution. I mean, retribution for what? He also made it crystal clear that he won't drop out of the 2024 presidential race no matter how many indictments he gets, he's just not leaving. In fact, he thinks the more indictments, the better his chances. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever you fucking say, Donald, you idiot. But he did not say that he would be okay if his very own hopester were to help prosecutors make their case against him. But some things you just don't have to say. There are new signs the inquiry is escalating into former President Donald Trump's role in paying hush money to an adult film actress during his 2016 presidential campaign. The New York Times is reporting that Hope Hicks, once a senior advisor to the former president who served as spokeswoman for that campaign, was seen walking into the Manhattan District Attorney's office yesterday. I paid the money to Stormy for individual number one and ended up going to jail. But guess who didn't? Individual number one. Well, that might be about to change. Hicks is one of at least seven witnesses questioned since Alvin Bragg convened a grand jury to hear testimony in the case, including, who came back just the other day as well, Kellyanne Conway, David Pecker of National Enquirer fame, and, of course, yours truly. While I don't know the details of her conversation or whether she testified before the grand jury or just met with prosecutors, I can tell you this. It just isn't good for Trump. 
So my friends, stay tuned. Newsom says Walgreens, which has more than 500 stores in California, is cowering to extremists and putting women's lives at risk. As we reported last week, Walgreens caved to conservative pressure and decided to stop selling the abortion drug Mephetrestone in some states. So Governor Gavin Newsom provided a lesson in actual retribution when he announced Wednesday that California will cut ties with Walgreens and not renew a $54 million contract that they had with the company. So touche, Governor, touche. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show, Mr. Justice Matters himself, Glenn Kirshner. Kirshner is a former prosecutor with 30 years of trial experience, and with it, he brings analysis and insight to legal issues of the day. Drawing from his experience as a federal prosecutor, a homicide prosecutor, and army jag. Glenn is an NBC News contributor and MSNBC legal analyst. He also teaches criminal law at George Washington University. And most importantly, catch his great shows, Capital Crimes with Glenn Kirshner and Justice Matters on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Glenn, I heard you speaking about the young woman who had been the foreperson on the Fulton County election fraud case. And you seem certain that she was within her legal rights and that it won't affect Trump's case um, at all. But if you were to speculate, who is Fannie Willis going to indict? Well, what we know from the four women of the special grand jury, Emily Kors, um, is that they recommended that more than a dozen people be indicted. When she was asked, is Donald Trump among those people? You know, she kind of had that Cheshire cat smile and she said, look, we started with that dirty phone call. This is, I'm paraphrasing what she said. We started with the phone call, find me 11,780 votes and corruptly declare me the winner. So I don't think you're gonna be shocked and I don't think it's rocket science who we have recommended be indicted. And then in I think a subsequent interview when she was told by the reporter, did you see that Donald Trump just posted that your report totally exonerates him. You could see the shock on her face. And she said, he said that. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. I love that. You get, you don't have to read between the lines. It looks like Donald Trump is somebody they recommended be indicted. Now, does that guarantee that when Fawny Willis takes that special grand jury report with those recommendations and heads over to the regular grand jury, the one with the power to indict, that she will say, you know, I am urging you to accept all of these recommendations and indict all of these people. It's not a guarantee. But, Michael, when she asked for the special grand jury to be impaneled so she could subpoena these 75 reluctant witnesses and she got a report from them saying now that we've assessed the evidence, here are the people who should be indicted, including the liars. I can't imagine District Attorney Willis disregarding all that and not asking the regular grand jury to indict all those people. Now, who are those people going to be? You know, you're probably going to have a smattering of fake electors. Now, 
can I say it's going to be the Mark Meadows of the world, the Rudy Giuliani's of the world, the Sidney Powell's, the Jenna Ellis's? I mean, we don't know, but um, I, I did find it really interesting that Miss Coors said that she found guys like Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham to at least be telling the truth about stuff. Now, I don't think we can mistake that for a pronouncement that they didn't commit any election crimes in Georgia. It just feels like they're probably not among the witnesses that the grand jury said, we believe they lied to us and we want Fonnie Willis to prosecute them for those lies. Okay, so let me ask you this then. There's so much speculation about what an indictment of Trump in this Fulton County, Georgia case would look like. What are the charges that you think that Fonnie Willis would end up bringing against? And let's talk about only Donald first. Um, and then we'll talk about Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, and Sidney the Kraken Powell, and a slew of the others, who I'll group by themselves. But let's talk about Donald first. What do you think the crimes that they can charge Donald with? I, I think the mar the marquee crime is soliciting election fraud in violation of Georgia state law, which is a felony. I say that's a marquee crime because you can prove it by just pressing play. You know, I had the good fortune of trying some RICO cases in the courts of Washington, D.C., in which we had wiretap evidence. And in cases apart from RICO cases, I had covert recordings of the defendants talking about the crimes they intended to commit, the crimes they were planning to commit, and the crimes they in fact committed. And Michael, I called those trials just press play, because when you can press play and have your jurors hear with their own ears the crimes that ha are being described by the defendant sitting across the courtroom, you know, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. The marquee charge, I think, of soliciting election fraud, asking former Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, just give me 11,780 votes and corruptly declare me the winner. I have just basically summarized the evidence necessary to prove the elements of that crime, soliciting election fraud. I think that will be a marquee charge. Now, I would urge people to read the Brookings Institute deep dive because they set out a dozen crimes, felonies and misdemeanors alike. I haven't committed them all to memory that they believe the public facing evidence shows Donald Trump committed. But here's the other thing that I, I think is a big ticket question. And there was a, a good op ed in The New York Times by uh, Norm Eisen and Edanya Perry and a, another uh, prosecutor whose name I'm sorry, I, I don't recall offhand. Um, and they talked about should D.A. Willis bring a narrow targeted case with just a marquee charge or maybe the two or three most readily provable charges? Or should she go scorched earth and use Georgia's RICO laws to try to bring mm -hmm. a broad sweeping prosecution of Donald Trump and all of his criminal associates for all of the crimes they committed? I would urge, not that Fonnie Willis needs to hear anything from me, she's doing just fine. Um, I would urge the broad, sweeping RICO approach, and here's why. I tried more than 50 murder cases in the courts of Washington, D.C. Most of them 
were what I call standalone murder cases. I had a murder as the marquee charge, and then maybe I had some related charges like uh, you know, ca- uh, use of a firearm during a crime of violence, maybe assault with intent to kill if somebody else caught a stray bullet. But basically, it was a contained prosecution, one incident. But then when I was across the street in federal district court prosecuting RICO cases, because I was involved in the prosecution of the largest RICO conspiracy case we ever brought in federal court in D.C., um, we had more than 100 charges. We had countless racketeering acts. We had murder after murder. We had an organization that was running the drug trade in all four quadrants of Washington, D.C. What did that do? It gave the jury the power of context. This is not one crime or one marquee crime. This is a criminal organization, and it feels to me like Donald Trump has been a member of multiple criminal organizations in his life. One is the Trump Organization, now convicted of a 15-year-long criminal scheme to defraud in the first degree. Uh, it, It feels like his administration was being run as a criminal organization or enterprise. And certainly, you know, everything he was doing down in Georgia with the assistance of others feels like a criminal organization. So go ahead. So let me let me stop you for a second, then, because there's a big difference between something feeling like a RICO versus it actually being a RICO case. Now, I started reading up everything I could on the Georgia RICO Act, uh, which is under you know the Georgia Penal Code, uh, Section 16. And I just really started to get into it because I was curious whether or not Fannie Willis would do exactly what many legal experts, which I don't put myself in your category. I don't, I, in fact, I'm not even a lawyer anymore, right? Uh, I've been, you know, with my disbarment, uh, so stupid and crazy. But I started reading up onto this, and in order for um, Fannie Willis to bring this Georgia Racketeer Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, one of the things that you must have there is what the law calls a pattern of misconduct. Now, that pattern as it relates to the Trump organization, one had to do with taxes and employee benefits, um, whereas this one, as you appropriately and accurately stated, find me 11,780 votes. And my question to you is whether the misconduct that we're referring to, right, which is has to be two or more crimes um, and has to be specific, um, Include the false statements and the improper influence that you were mentioning, which is find me the 11,780 votes, because most experts in this area think it's a very real possibility that the calls to not just to Brad Raffensperger, but to other election officials, as well as to the conversations that he had with members of his inner circle and um, staff on making these false statements and continuing to promote the false statements with the coordinated attempt um, to obtain these fraudulent electoral certificates, that is the RICO charge that they all seem to be referring to. That, and remember, Rudy Giuliani, who, again, based on the public evidence, it seems like 
he was involved in a conspiracy with Donald Trump to try to, uh, you know, unlawfully overturn the results of the Georgia election. He was, I believe, named as a target by Fawnie Willis of the Georgia grand jury investigation. We also have information that he was making false statements to Georgia legislators in furtherance of his attempt to overturn the election's results in Georgia. You know, now, the, as you say, most RICO laws, federal and lots of states, I think 32 states have many RICO laws patterned after the federal RICO law, which came first, um, require a pattern of racketeering activity or a pattern of crimes being committed in furtherance of the, the RICO enterprise. But pattern is defined in the law as two. Ain't much of a pattern. You need two racketeering acts to successfully bring a RICO charge in federal court. And you probably have read more about the Georgia state RICO statutes than I have. But you say it takes two down there, too. Two is not much of a pattern. And it's not that difficult to prove when you recognize that once a conspiracy has been made out, any member of the conspiracy can commit an act all on their own. Mm -hmm. As long as it is a natural and probable consequence of the criminal agreement, the crime that they agreed to commit together, and that will satisfy the, the need to prove a pattern of racketeering activity. So you got Trump's call, you've got fake electors, you've got Rudy's uh, lying to Georgia state legislators. I don't know if Lindsey Graham is part of a conspiracy, but what we do know is Brad Raffensperger, one of their own tribe. A fellow Republican said, Lindsey Graham called me multiple times and it sounded to me like he was urging me to toss out lawfully cast mm -hmm. ballots. That also feels like soliciting election fraud. But who knows how the evidence has played out in the grand jury? There's only one person or one team that knows whether they have the goods to bring a RICO case under Georgia state law. That's Fonnie Willis and her team. And we won't know until the first indictment drops. Right. So then what happens when Donald Trump turns around and makes the claim? I don't know what Rudy was doing. Rudy's drunk all the time. Rudy's an idiot. Rudy wasn't speaking on my behalf. Rudy Kaludi, you know, should have retired 20 years ago when he still had some respect. I have nothing to do with it. And that's what somebody like Donald Trump will do, and it's something that he will say in order to exonerate himself completely from it. He'll throw everybody. I never told them that. In fact, what I was saying to Brad Raffensperger was I know that the system is fucked up, that they stole 11,780 votes from me. And I was saying to him as the, you know, as the responsible party that, you need, Brad, to go and to find those stolen 11,780 votes. No different than if you were a police officer and I call you up and I tell you, hey, my car's been stolen. Here's the low-jack location in the general area. Go find my car and retrieve it. So he'll say, my mens rea was not to do something improper, but rather to prove something that I've been saying all along. You see, that's the circular 
logic that Donald Trump employs. It's why Donald Trump never puts anything on paper and he never says anything in a definitive way. It's always some sort of stupid roundabout type of conversation, including the comments that he made to Brad Raffensperger. And here's what you do with those kind of statements from a defendant. First of all, before we ever indicted cases, we generated what's called a CIM, CIM, Case Impression Memo, or a PROS Memo, right? And we strategize. We not only set out all the facts and all the law that applies to the facts as developed in the grand jury investigation, but we strategize. Okay, what could the defendant say in order to undercut our proof beyond a reasonable doubt or in order to cast doubt on his criminal intent, his corrupt state of mind, his guilty mens rea? And here's the thing, Michael, when I hear people talk about that all the time, well, Donald Trump is just going to say, I really thought there was fraud. And Donald Trump is just going to say Rudy was drunk all the time. You know how Donald Trump has to introduce that evidence to a trial jury? He has to take the stand. And that will be such a bonanza for prosecutors. Why? Because people need to know that the rules of evidence say in a criminal trial, A defendant can't introduce his own statements that he made outside of court. He has to take the stand. Prosecutors can introduce the statements a defendant made outside of court because those are statements of a party opponent. So I wish, oh, I only wish I could be the prosecutor cross-examining Donald Trump when he said, Rudy's drunk all the time. I really thought there was election fraud. That will make the prosecution's presentation of the case a thousand you, times so stronger tr- when you they imagine? are done cross-examining Donald Trump. Could you imagine, how would you turn and say to him at the time, oh, you thought, what was the basis for your thought? What information did you have? Who gave you that information? And on, I would love to be able to be, you know, sitting. Uh, and you don't even that, ask those open-ended questions. What you do is you ask leading questions and you cram every answer down his throat. Let's talk about what Bill Barr said. Let's talk about what all of your right. own cabinet officials said. Let's talk about what DOJ said. Let's talk about, you know, you cram it all down his throat and he looks just as foolish and just as deceitful as we all know he is. Yeah. So what happens, like, for example, with Emily, uh, with Emily Kors, um, who went on a little bit of a media tour? And I know you prosecutors, you hate, you know, for anybody to speak other than themselves, right? I mean, they truly, I remember when they all went out after, you know, my pleading to a one-page information, they all stood out there like if they just caught Escobar, you know, times 10. It was the stupidest thing in the world. But how badly do you think that Emily Kors going forward, how do you think that this is going to affect Fannie Willis or the case uh, going forward? Yeah, it, it's not. All of Trump's lackeys and sycophants and flunkies really just need to pull the fainting couch back into the closet because this is of no legal consequence. couple of things regarding Emily Kors. First of all, she's a 30-year-old woman who put her life on hold for eight months to do her civic duty and participate in the investigation of the crimes of a former president of the United States. So, you know, I think we need to applaud people 
who are willing to undertake that kind of difficult and disruptive endeavor in their lives. Second, Glenn, Glenn, she Glenn, was, Glenn, Glenn, yeah. Glenn, can we stand up? Five years. Five years I've been doing that, meeting eight different times with congressional committees. I'm going to be going in this Thursday 18 times to the district attorney. How many times did I meet with Mueller's team? 100 hours. How many times did I meet with the New York Attorney General's office and so on regarding all of that? I know exactly where you're going with this, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. She should not be castigated by anybody. She should not be reprimanded for speaking her mind. She should be entitled, because I don't shut up. When I'm walking in, fuck that shit. They wanted to take me through the garage over at Danny, the district attorney in New York's office. I said, bullshit. I walk with my head up high right through the fucking front doors. And if there's media out there and they ask me a question... I will answer their questions. I will not disclose anything that I know you don't want me to disclose. And I walk out the front doors. I'm not doing this bullshit of hiding and going underneath. I played that stupid shit once. And it didn't denote to my benefit. And all it did is make me look like I was running, hiding, that I'm scared. Uh Uh-uh. I understand exactly why she did it. Go ahead, please. What's number two? Yeah, no. And, and, you know, not only do we need to... um recognize when people do the hard work of justice, whether it's a grand juror or, as you say, a witness. Michael, I lost witnesses. People ask me, what was the worst thing about being a homicide prosecutor? I said, dead witnesses. And far worse for the witness and their family than it was for me. But I live with all of that. And I will forever live with all of that. So the witnesses are the ones who really do the hard work of justice. Um, So here's the other thing. Judge McBurney, who has supervisory authority over the special grand jury, gave an interview to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and said, let me make one thing clear. She did nothing wrong. I'm paraphrasing because what he said was the only thing jurors are not permitted to talk about are their private deliberations. They can Mm -hmm. talk about the witnesses who testified. They can say they can talk about the, the conclusions in their report, but. Miss Coors chose not to go that far. She did nothing wrong under Georgia state law. She did nothing wrong under the rules that were set, the do's and don'ts as set by Judge McBurney. So, you know, and, and is she a little quirky in the way she communicates? Yeah, guess what? I'm quirky. You're quirky. Everybody is quirky. And the fact that people are laying into her for that, I, I find, frankly, despicable after she spent eight months doing what she did. Um, so and here's the, the final thought about this. She was part of a special grand jury that doesn't even have the power to indict. So whatever she says is entirely irrelevant, legally speaking, because now it's before the regular grand jury and they will be the ones making the decision to indict. So this vests no legal challenge in Donald Trump or anybody else because Miss Coors did what she was permitted to do. Yeah. So I have only one thing that I'm going to disagree with you on. I'm not quirky. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) moving forward here, Jack Smith. And we all, of course, know who Jack Smith is. He's the special counsel. He's now making some moves and some pretty bold moves, including recently subpoenaing um, Mike Pence and, of course, Jared and Ivanka, Javanka, right? I mean, two things. From these two things, what's the likelihood that Pence will wiggle out of it 
that he will avoid somehow um, being deposed. And what do these high-profile witnesses, you know, what does it say to you that Jack Smith is going after these high-profile witnesses? What does that say to you about the case? So, you know, Jack Smith was only appointed back on November 18th, three months ago. And he, in rapid succession, subpoenaed a White House counsel, a deputy White House counsel, a former vice president of the United States, a former chief of staff to the president of the United States, a president's daughter, a president's son-in-law, the president's criminal defense attorneys. And let me tell you, Michael, that is not something prosecutors ordinarily do. Subpoena the criminal defense attorneys representing the target that we're investigating and intend to indict. That is really unusual in my experience. We do it sometimes when we think, you know, there is a crime fraud exception to be had and we can use it to pierce the attorney client privilege. Jack Smith is a scorched earth, no holds barred without fear or favor kind of prosecutor that has been shown in his background because he's gone after Republicans. He's gone after Democrats. And here's what I like about him most. He doesn't always win. He brings really challenging, Mm -hmm. politically charged cases against Republicans and Democrats because it's the right thing to do, win, lose or draw. That's the kind of prosecutor I want to get in the foxhole with. Um, So I I think Jack Smith will move toward indictments. We're also dang frustrated because it feels like we had to suffer two years of inaction because I am I am gravely concerned that DOJ has sent a message by declining to indict any of the higher ups of the insurrection, the command structure, right? They they're going after the boots no of the one. insurrection, the people that Donald Trump told to go ahead and attack the Capitol. And they're doing, a, I think, a good job of that. They're in their fourth um, seditious conspiracy trial as we speak. Actually, the third one against the Oath Keepers and the first one against the Proud Boys. And they're doing great work over there. I've been sitting in on some of the hearings, um, but they haven't touched a single person of power or privilege or influence or politics. That sends a signal that if you are tomorrow's aspiring dictator and you want to try to overthrow our democracy, you're going to have more than two years to plot your next move to try to figure out how to get away with it because we won't touch you for years. That is a dangerous precedent, atmospheric precedent for the Department of Justice to have set, but they set that precedent. And I can only hope Jack Smith, here's what I like most about what I just saw Jack Smith do. He filed a preemptive motion, an offensive motion with Chief Judge Beryl Howell. He said, look, I'm not even going to wait for Mike Pence to go into the grand jury and start asserting bogus privileges. I'm filing a motion preemptively, offensively right now up front. I want Judge Beryl Howell to tell him you got no privileges. Get in the grand jury. That's not ordinarily how we litigate privileges. There is a there is a, um, a method and a sequence to this. You put the witness in. You let him invoke all the privileges. You brief it up. You set oral arguments. You get a judge to decide it. And Jack Smith said, no, I analogize. I said, this is like Jack Smith being a major league baseball pitcher, striking out people as they're sitting in the dugout before they even walk up the home plate. That's what Jack Smith is trying to do right now. And that gives me some comfort and confidence 
that he's a different kind of federal prosecutor. Yeah, but let's also not forget that at the end of the day, Merrick Garland's still the one that has to bring those charges, and I have very little confidence in, Mer- in Merrick Garland. But I will tell you something that it, it bothers me when I saw all this happening. It reminds me so much of the mortgage crisis debacle that we all lived with, right? Where not one single bigwig, not one billionaire from that Lehman estate or anything ended up doing one day, doing one day of time, and how many billions of dollars did we end up losing? But the one question I really have for you on this one is, I was a little bit confused because my understanding was that Jack Smith was really brought on as the special counsel for the, the, um, for the document case. Uh, and I didn't realize that it was this expansive because now he's bringing in Jared and he's bringing in Ivanka and Mike Pence. And I think he also um, subpoenaed, uh, what's his name, Mark Meadows in the same probe. And he's going full balls to the wall on this one. Yeah, but his, this appo- one- his appointment letter, his appointment letter actually gives him the authority and jurisdiction to investigate both things, the insurrection and the classified documents crimes. Right, because this one is all about, of course, um, Trump's efforts to remain in the White House, right, after losing the 2020 election. And I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible if you can get on the stand, Jared, Ivanka, Meadows, you know, Rudy, you can get, uh, you know, half a dozen of these people. But this shit needs to move quick because... Me personally, and I'm involved in this every single day, whether it's tangentially or directly, I'm tired. I'm tired of every day watching this bullshit just sort of sift through the strainer. And I'm just losing it sometimes because they fight, they fight, they fight. And then shit moves on because Donald does something more chaotic than the last thing or something new pops up and then just distinct. It just extinguishes exactly what everybody was looking for. But let me ask you this then, Glenn, because you tweeted last week that, and I quote, former President Donald Trump will sell out members of his own family if he's indicted, including his daughter Ivanka and Trump's son-in-law Jared Kushner. Now, no truer statement has been said. If you go back to any of these podcasts and my listeners could confirm it, I've been saying this shit on television, on this podcast, in the press, Literally since the day that I was going away, I said he'll throw he'll throw God under the bus if it would help him to avoid culpability or accountability. Tell me what made you decide to tweet that out. Um, You know, I can't remember what the reporting was, but we all know Donald Trump is a narcissist. You don't have to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist to understand that Donald Trump cares only about Donald Trump. Um, So I I prosecuted plenty of defendants who were narcissists. And the one thing that they tended to have in common is they would do anything and sacrifice anyone to protect and preserve their own position. So if it meant they could throw a bunch of folks under the bus, if you know we would agree to give them a sentencing uh, recommendation or cap that was one year lower than they might otherwise get if they didn't, cooperate and throw people under the bus, they, they couldn't sign up quickly enough. Narcissists protect themselves and they, you know, at the expense of everybody else, friends, families, loved ones, enemies, everybody. That's what I see Donald Trump doing when 
hopefully not if, but when he finally sees himself indicted. And I still believe once that first indictment drops, the dam will break because then every prosecutor will feel like, oh, you know what? Donald Trump committed crimes in my jurisdiction. I got to step up now because that barrier has been broken and a former criminal president has been charged. So I do believe you'll start to see indictments dropping once we get that first one, which looks like it's it's likely to be out of Georgia. Yeah, I think the first one is likely to be out of New York. I'm a firm believer. Right, but- I'm a firm believer, which is hysterical because most people were so angry, myself included, right? Um, when it came to Alvin Bragg, our New York District Attorney. You know, what's he doing? What's he waiting for? You saw Mark Pomerantz and Carrie Dunn resignation letters. You saw things absolutely come to a screeching halt. And now all of a sudden, things have picked up with super, super speed. Uh, And I think the team that he has attached to this specific matter are equally impressive as Mark Pomerantz, Carrie Dunn, and their team. And that says a lot because I have the utmost of respect for those two individuals. But let, let me tell you, Michael, and I agree with everything you just said, and I, I want you to be right. The charges are imminent in New York. But here's the thing, the data point that really bothered me, right? It, it was not just Pomerantz and Dunn resigning a, a after they concluded there was enough to indict and enough to convict. That's a that's a problem because I was a career prosecutor. And when I made the hard recommendation to the U.S. attorney that we got we got this one, boss, let me let me do it. And they told me no for some reason. That didn't sit well with me. But then when I read some of the closing argument of, I don't know if it was a closing argument or rebuttal argument, I think it was Joshua Steinglass was the uh, uh, prosecutor who made this argument. He said, ladies and gentlemen, the evidence you saw during the course of this trial makes it clear that Donald Trump explicitly approved the fraud. Well, here's my beef, Michael. If you had that evidence and you felt ethically comfortable and confident making that argument at the end of a jury trial against the Trump organization, then why in the hell wasn't Donald Trump sitting at defense table? Right. Well, maybe he will be. You know, Alvin Bragg is Alvin Bragg. And I say this now uh, respectfully. I'm not the DA. You're not the DA. And as much as we are all interested in ensuring justice, you know, and I've said this on television, I want to say it again for my listeners. I don't want to see Donald Trump go to prison because I dislike him. I don't want to see Donald Trump go to prison because I'm angry at him. I don't want to see Donald Trump go to prison for trumped up charges like they brought against me. I want to see Donald Trump indicted, prosecuted, and potentially convicted for crimes that he committed that a jury of his peers convict him on. That's what I do. And if they choose not to, for whatever the reason may be, so be it. But I don't want to see anyone, including Donald Trump, prosecuted and convicted because I fundamentally disagree with everything or almost everything that comes out of their mouth. Can I just jump back to Judge Beryl Howell for a quick second? Because now you got me thinking. Judge Howell recently denied, um, was one of Trump's allies, I think it was Representative Scott Perry. Remember when he tried to shield um, the January 6th emails and all the phone records from the DOJ? Um, 
because the judge reasoned that they're not privileged and that he's not above the law. So what do you know about that case and what it might mean for the other Trump co-conspirators in Congress? Because that's something I think about all the time. All of these motherfuckers that sit there and they tout the congressional pin and they wear it around their neck next to an AR-15 pin and stuff like that. They're the, they really, really get under my skin. And I'm dying to know your thoughts on this. So here is the 50 plus plus page motion that uh, or finding ruling that Judge Beryl Howell released recently. She decided it back in December, but she just released it because it was important to get it into the public square. And I, I love what Judge Beryl Howell did, because this is the Scott Perry litigation, right? Scott Perry, um, we seized we the prosecutors. I was a career prosecutor. I lapse into we sometimes the prosecutors seized his phone pursuant to a, a judicially authorized search warrant, but they didn't search it. They didn't look at the contents because they had a procedure in place to make sure they didn't violate Scott Perry's speech or debate clause privilege. They didn't see something they shouldn't right. see. So they gave Scott Perry the opportunity to file a motion in court saying the prosecutors shouldn't get to see what's on my cell phone. That's what was litigated before Chief Judge Beryl Howell. Scott Perry identified 2,200 communications, emails, text messages on his phone that he said, uh, you can't look at these speech or debate clause privilege. This 50 page ruling says of those 2,200 um, communications on Scott Perry's cell phone. And remember, a search warrant was issued because the judge found probable cause that there was evidence of crime on Scott Perry's cell phone. Of those 2,200 things you say enjoy privilege, I am ruling that 2,055 of them have no legitimate speech or debate clause privilege. And he appealed that, and that's in front of the uh, the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals right now, and I think they're going to get it right as well. But here is the thing. Think about this. This representative, Scott Perry, asked for a pardon for his activities on and around January 6th. I'm quite sure he didn't ask for a pardon because those 2000 messages on his phone involved a robust debate over legislation such that they should enjoy speech or debate clause privilege. You're going to see the very crime on Scott Perry's phone that the judge concluded was on there, which is why the judge issued a search warrant for Scott Perry's phone. And he tried to hide it from the grand jury and the J6 committee and all of us. And he's not going to get away with it. So I can't wait at the end of the appellate process to see what those 2,200 messages were that Perry so desperately wanted to hide from the grand jury. Do you know what any of them are? Could you give us like no, one example? The interesting part. No, because think about it. The prosecutors haven't even looked at them yet, right? They gave the they gave them to, to Judge Beryl Howell in camera, ex parte. They said, Judge, look, we can't even make an argument about these because we haven't seen them. We're asking you to review them. And here's why it's so important. Judge Howell sort of on her own looked at them without even the prosecutors making an argument on substance because they don't know what's in them. And she said... They are not protected. Give them over. Huh. Let me ask you a question. It would be protected speech. 
Would it be his communications with his tug and rub masseuse over at one of these uh, one of these drive-through massage places? I don't know what he's up to, but what I want to see is anything. No, I'm just asking. On do that- you think that? Do you think that that would be um, protected oh. speech? Well, and what's pretty clear when you read this 54 page ruling, you know, anything that's personally embarrassing is not covered by speech or debate. No, it's not. That's the point. That's the point I was trying to bring up in my Perry's up to. But trust me, with the same thing that they're all up to and it's 100 percent no good. You know, the only thing and it's something that bothers so many Americans, especially, you know, myself, those who have the power seem to not just be able to escape any accountability, but they do it with such impunity. I mean, I can only imagine what his text messages read like. You know, remember, they took all my stuff. They took my wife's stuff, my children's stuff. They all started making allegations. The prosecutors from the Southern District of New York, who were a bunch of dirtbags, turned around and they all said that these were um, burner phones. They're not burner phones. They're old Apple iPhone 5s and 6s and 7s because, for God's sakes, every single kid in America has to have the brand new iPhone literally the second that it comes out. You're standing on these long-ass lines. Now at least you can put it in through the Internet, and you know what day you're going to get it. But those days, we were standing on long lines to make our kids happy. I mean, that's, that's the crazy shit, but you don't see these sort of fucked up type of emails and text messages. I'm dying to see his text messages, to be honest, because what we start seeing now, every single time something gets released, they're all shitting on each other. They're all making fun of each other. They're as obnoxious about things that they each say behind their backs. And then, of course, they go out and they continue to promote the Trump lies. Well, let me ask you this then. Let me just go back to Jack Smith now. So... What kind of luck do you think that Jack Smith will ultimately have to prosecute Trump and other lawmakers who aided and abetted this attempted coup? I mean, do you think people are finally going to go to jail? You think that'll ever see the light of day? So let me start by um, will they be convicted and then we can move on to whether they'll go to jail. I, you know, I'm not a betting man. I'm not a high roller. One dollar's my limit, but I would bet a buck that Jack Smith indicts Donald Trump for both documents crimes and for the insurrection. And I have maintained for a very long time, the only thing standing between us and a Donald Trump conviction is an indictment. Because once a prosecutor is standing in the well of the court arguing to 12 citizens, sitting as the conscience of the community, the the case almost can't be lost. Because, you know, we spin out all these thought experiments. What if Donald Trump says this? What if he says that in court? First of all, he's not going to take the stand, so he's not going to be able to say anything in court. And we are going to inundate him with his own statements and admissions that he made on his you know, third rate social media platform, Twitter before that, you name it. So he will be convicted. He will be indicted. He will be convicted. Will he go to prison? I sure hope so, because if he's sentenced to home detention, that is like sentencing somebody to, you know, uh, binge watch Netflix and get DoorDash. That's no kind of punishment or deterrent. And all that does is encourage tomorrow's dictator, wannabe dictator. Um, I I do think a whole host of people are going to go down just like they did in Watergate days. I think many of them will go to prison. Again, if I had a bet a buck, I'd probably put 50 cents of it. 
on Donald Trump serving some time rather than just going into home detention. So I, I, I think it'll be 100% home detention only because, let's not forget, for four years, even as dumb as he is and as poor as his memory is, he was still debriefed for national security purposes. And I wouldn't want that information as much as I would love to see him in orange behind bars. I don't see it as a possibility. Uh, too many, too much access for him to give out those top secret information, which you know he would do for a can of tuna or for like a book of stamps. But I want to ask you this because you said that you think that Jack Smith will uh, indict Trump on the documents. How does he do that? And Joe Biden doesn't get indicted for the same exact crime. Yeah, I actually think the chances of Donald Trump being indicted for documents crimes ticked up a little when we see how Joe Biden and Mike Pence handled a similar problem, not the same problem, but a similar problem. Those two men left government service and they packed up or had somebody pack up for them, their offices and some classified documents ended up at Biden residences and at Pence residences. And when these two men got wind of that, they alerted government, the appropriate authorities, they said, please come take these documents because now we're realizing we need to focus on our own practices when we were former government officials. Of course, Biden is again a government official. Here is what we found. And by the way, we welcome you all in to please look at everything because we don't want to have missed something. Here is the fundamental difference. No federal judge has ever issued a search warrant to search Joe Biden's property or to search Mike Pence's property. Why? Because there's no probable cause that a crime has been committed. It's dramatically different. And I think those two things can serve as an example of how when former government officials realize they took something that they shouldn't have, they should conduct themselves. So this, this is apples and oranges or apples and orangutans. And, you know, Donald Trump, I believe, will be prosecuted. I don't think there have been crimes committed at least I haven't seen enough uh, publicly reported evidence that there have been crimes committed by Pence and Biden. Okay, so I want to ask you on the same sort of theory, right, on people who shouldn't have things. What's the legal ramifications of McCarthy sharing, or I should say giving, all of the January 6th footage, was it, 40,000 hours exclusively to fucker Carlson? I mean, there's got to be something illegal about sharing footage that rightly belongs to the American people and not to some propaganda network. There's got to be something here. I just don't know what it is. I don't know that it constitutes a crime. And, you know, as much as I, you know, as a former career prosecutor, look for crime under every rock and around every corner. I don't know that what he did was criminal. Um, it certainly was an abuse of his office, an abuse of his authority um, as a member of Congress, I believe. You know, think about it. In the hands of Tucker Carlson, and of course, this came right on the heels of us all learning in the Dominion uh, voting systems litigation that Tucker Carlson and company intentionally lied to their viewers, mm -hmm. to the American people. And they were caught saying, we know we're lying. And the people believe it. So what they were doing is they were lying about some of the most cherished rights of 
the American people their right to vote, their right to free and fair elections. They were lying. They knew they were lying. And they knew their lies were reasonably likely to incite lawless action, in my opinion, because they did incite lawless action as part of what happened on January 6th. That's who McCarthy decides to give these videos to exclusively. That is a gross abuse of power and judgment and an abuse of the American people. So Um, let me ask you this then. Can I ask you this? Let me play prosecutor and you can be the witness for a sec. Mr. Kirshner, who owns the video? I would say the federal government owns the video. Capitol Police. When you say the federal... Is it the Capitol Police owners or the American people? No different than the top secret documents. Well, ownership, yes. In theory, you can say we the people own every scrap of governmental paper and every brick in every governmental building. But that's not real. It's well, not why realistic. Would there be, because why would there we be? We can't go exercise a possessory interest over it. Um, why is there a difference between a top secret document is being owned by the American people? Right, covered by the Presidential Records Act versus videotape of the people's house. Let me say that again. It's the people's house. So wouldn't one say that the recordings of what goes on inside the people's house belongs to the people? Yes, but we put legislators in place to vote some common sense rules and laws to protect the okay. American people. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they generally try to actually protect us. That means you can't disclose the location of security cameras because that would put the legislators and the public who are in the Capitol at risk. It also means in these 40,000 hours of, of videos, there is evidence of crime. Some of these people have not yet been arrested. Tucker Carlson now has all of this evidence and he might disclose it and end up obstructing and thwarting investigations and prosecutions. So there are lots and lots and lots of reasons to dislike what McCarthy did. Ownership interest of those videos aside, I do think that once you give it to one media outlet, you can't withhold it constitutionally from other media outlets. That, I think, will inspire court challenges by other media outlets. But, you know, this uh, this is the way McCarthy and his slim majority in the House have chosen to govern, which is basically not govern, but do everything they can to throw sand in the gears and Mm -hmm. retaliate against their perceived enemies. So since we're talking about Fox News, let me just ask you this then. Let's go to the Dominion voting machine case against Fox News and so on. Is it your opinion that Rupert Murdoch should have settled early on to avoid the publicity that they're currently going through right now? Yeah, I think it's crazy that they waited so long that all of these internal communications between Fox hosts and Fox hosts and executives um, have now been disclosed publicly. I I would say this, you know, hurts whatever credibility they, you know, still have, but I I don't think they have much. Who are you referring to? Who who, who, who are we talking about? The the Fox, the whole Fox Fox organization. Mm -hmm. Um, So they will settle. Because I think some of the evidence we've seen is so damning, they're going to have to settle. Now, can they find a billion six kicking around in the cushions of the couches over at Fox? Maybe. I don't know if that's a fatal financial blow or not. So let me stop you for a sec, because it's not. And if you take a look at their cues, because um, it's public, uh, 
They have $5 billion sitting in the coffers. $5 billion. So if you think Rupert Murdoch, and you know, Rupert used to live in my building. And I used to work out with him in the morning. Rupert doesn't give a shit about anything, which is the, it's very similar in certain respects to Donald. He really doesn't care. And if it's $1.6 billion, as long as it doesn't affect his audience, he doesn't care. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if this actually improves their audience. Now, yeah. I think their bigger problem that they have is Laura Ingraham, Sean Hannity, and Fucker Carlson. I, I think that they're really the bigger problems, not the audience sticking with Fox. I think it's them because they lie. They lie with impunity. And that's what I believe is really damaging Fox, not this case. Because I'm with you on this. I think proving defamation here is tough, doable, but I think it's tough Um Nevertheless, I think that Dominion wins this case because they should. So then let me ask you one additional question, because we have so many of these people on this right side with all of their litigation that's going on. It's like a smorgasbord. With the lawsuit pending now against him for sexual assault, and I'm referring to the head of CPAC, Matt Schlapp, right? Um, he says that he learned from Orban to ban mainstream media from CPAC, claiming that the media is controlled by China, by George Soros, the DNC, you, right, uh, me, and anybody else that they can point the finger to. So last year, he went ahead and he denied access to Vice. He denied access to Rolling Stone and about a half a dozen more um, media outlets. Is there any legal issue with CPAC denying press access at these public political events? I don't know. There's only one way to find out. And I am not a civil litigator. I was a criminal prosecutor my whole life, so I, I don't pretend to bring any expertise to things like civil litigation and class action lawsuits. But what I always say is when people ask, you know, can't we bring a class action or can't we sue um, uh, under the circumstances you just described? My answer is always you'll you won't know unless you try. And there are so many really um, terrific and experienced civil litigators out there that when, for example, we don't see any class actions being brought, I mean, let me use a slightly different example, against you know Trump and Jared and Mike Pence as the head of the coronavirus task force for avoidable COVID deaths, I find that surprising. It seems to me that there is a viable legal suit to be brought, wrongful death suit to be brought there, and yet I don't see any of those suits being brought. I don't see any class actions being assembled. So you know, when it comes to, you know, can you successfully sue for excluding one media organization and not the other? My answer is you will only know if you bring that suit and work your way through the process, which we both know can take forever. Right. And what, I mean, I can't imagine what would their defense be that it's a private event that we get to pick and choose, even though it's supposed to be open to the public. I guess it all depends upon how they couch the event, right? Well, and remember, it's only the government that is bound by the First Amendment freedom of speech and freedom of press, right? And freedom of religion and of assembly. It's not a private organization. And 
I don't think that is a government entity, right? So they could say, listen, just like like Twitter, hey, I can ban you and not ban you because I ain't the government and I'm not bound by the First Amendment. They could say that. So since you're a criminal prosecutor, you cannot turn on the television anymore without seeing this Alex Murdoch case in South Carolina. Now, me personally, it really it's beginning to fucking piss me off to be really blunt about it. And I'm sorry about what's going on. I'm sorry about the death of the wife and the son, Paul Paul. I mean, if he calls that kid Paul Paul one more time, I wanted to throw something at my television, but it's too expensive. I wasn't going to do it. Because it it appears that everyone in Murdoch's immediate family has killed someone or other. I mean, anyway, I mean, it's true. I mean, this one was involved in an auto accident that killed this one. This one now uh, ends up killing the wife, and then the other son is gone, and then there was the housekeeper that got killed. I mean, the whole thing is just crazy to me. Personally, I don't understand why it's captivating America the way that it is when there's so much more important shit going on in the world. Do you think that it was a mistake for Alex to get on the stand? And my, because I watched him and the way he's just his body language, his intonation, the whole nine yards. To me, it looks like he's guilt, uh, that he's guilty, probably. But I was curious whether you think that he could get a fair trial in a place where he's such a fixture. And I'm talking about that area of South Carolina coming from a very well-respected family uh, in the legal profession and so on? Yeah, first of all, he can get a fair trial. And if the judge did his or her job, I've been watching it as well. Um, I can't remember who the judge is offhand. Um, Then Murdoch is receiving a fair trial because, you know, during voir dire, during jury selection, you know, we ask every single juror, do you know anything about this case? Yes, I do. Okay, well, what do you know? Can you put aside what you know And based your decision only on the evidence you see introduced during the course of the trial, you have to gauge the honesty of the juror's response to that question. You can know. Listen, people are going to know all about Donald Trump when Donald Trump is a defendant and they have to judge him. The issue is, can you honestly abide by your oath to set aside what you know, including any preconceived notions, biases you might have, political associations or ideology you might have? and decide this case based only on the evidence. And if you do a really good, thorough voir dire jury selection, you can impanel a fair jury in any case, including against Donald Trump and Alex Murdoch. Um, Should he have taken the stand? It sure didn't look like it. I watched his testimony as well. And when you take the stand and you say to the jury, okay, I've been lying about everything for Mm -hmm. the past 20 months. What what signal does that send? One, you apparently didn't care about the murder of your wife and son being solved because you lied about everything to the authorities. And two, it's you know what I said to every jury in closing argument, Michael, when the defendant chose to testify, defendants ordinarily don't choose to testify. But for example, I had a Rico defendant who chose to testify and I got to cross examine him for two trial days. And it was like, you know, being a kid in a candy store for me. It was so dang much fun. And he hurt his case so badly by taking the stand. But I tell every jury in closing argument, ladies and gentlemen, when you saw that the defendant, Alex Murdaugh, had decided to exercise his right to testify, he got up from his chair. He walked across the well of the courtroom and sat in that witness chair. Did you really expect he was going to say, 
Okay, you got me. I did it. Right. No, the old he was Perry going Mason to moment. lie. He was going to lie to you to try to explain away all of the deeply and sharply incriminating evidence you saw with your own eyes before he hit the stand, and he did a miserable job of explaining yeah. it away. Why? Because he's guilty. Don't let him fool you. I mean, his testimony was pathetic because the phone records had him. The blood spatter had him. The ballistics, one of the two guns used to execute his wife and son, came from a Murdoch family gun, which chances are some outside intruder didn't bring with him. I mean, fact after fact after fact, yeah. he's done. He's yeah. convicted. Yeah. And I mean, then the whole thing with the dog, with the chicken in the mouth of the bird of the Paul Paul and Buster. And I don't know. To me, it was the whole thing was just so ridiculous. And what bothered me and look, as I have always told you before, the hour goes by quickly on Maya Culpa because we could have a lot of fun here. But what bothered me is while we're watching this stupidity, this asshole try to explain away murdering his wife and Paul Paul, right? You have crimes against humanity going on all over Ukraine by Russian soldiers and so on. What, if anything, can you tell us about the prosecution that's currently going on right now? A lot of people don't know this. 71,000 plus war crimes perpetrated in Ukraine by Russian army members, all right? Because it appears that some trials are underway in Ukraine. And I don't know where they're doing these trials because most of the buildings are knocked down uh, and there's shelling going on everywhere. But what are the rules for war crimes, especially the ones that I hear that are being right now perpetrated against Ukrainians? Kidnapping of children, rape, murder, uh, beatings, you know, torture, all of that. I mean, shouldn't these cases be judged in a neutral court, for example, like in Hague? Yeah, I've never been a practitioner in the field of war crimes. And to be honest, I didn't know there were trials up and running in Ukraine right now. Um, usually, you know, war crimes get tackled after the hostilities uh, have ended. Um so, I, you know, I, I can't really give you an intelligent answer on any of that um, other than, you know, yes, The Hague is some place that war crimes have been handled, including by none other than Jack Smith, which I, I think, you know, one of the things that has so impressed me with Jack Smith is, you know, you can leave the Department of Justice and go into private practice and quadruple your salary. I never did that. I spent more than 30 years as a federal prosecutor first as an army jag and then nearly quarter of a century at doj and i said after that i can go out and paint houses i can roof houses i can work on horse farms i can work on commercial fishing boats all of which i did as a gutter kid growing up in jersey um but i'm not going to go out into private practice and um and, and represent folks because that's not where i'm comfortable in the system but jack Haig, uh, uh, jack smith didn't do that he decided to prosecute war criminals mm -hmm when he left the Department of Justice. And again, that tells me something about the man and, and what's important to him, what's value, what he wants to focus on. And that's why I know it doesn't have to do with the war crimes, which are plentiful, it seems, in Ukraine. But, um, you know, the, the, the Hague is the natural place that I think of when you think of war crimes being prosecuted. Yeah, and I can only say we need more people like Jack Smith 
and like yourself, uh, as opposed to some of these career prosecutors that basically only give a shit about their conviction rate, like the guys that went after me over at SDNY. A lot of people hate that I talk about them. I don't give a fuck about them. You got Nick, um, you know, uh, what's it, Nick Roos, Tom McKay, Judge Pauly, uh, who's now deceased. You know, all of them, they're all in this. Uh, Andrea Griswold. I mean, the whole slew of them, all they care about is their conviction rate. And eventually they'll figure out what to do, like the way Robert Kazami is now, I think, over at Guggenheim Partners, making $10 million a year. For what? I have no idea. He's fucking stupid as shit. And other than the fact he has a badge to shove things down your throat, it doesn't really matter. But that's for our next discussion, because there's so much going on with that case, too. If only I could get FOIA to turn over the documents that they've been required to. Would you believe it? Since August of 2022, and yet they haven't... They have not provided a single document, and even though the court has told them to. So anyway, more importantly, Glenn, let me as always thank you for joining us today on Maya Copa. Thank you for everything that you do. Um, keep it up. I love, by the way, on your TikToks uh, and your Instagrams. I love when you, you know, when you do your uh, two, three-minute little uh, news breakdowns. I think they're fantastic. Do not stop because, honestly, people need to hear your voice. They need to hear truth in what's really going on. And so I'd like to thank you myself for everything that you're doing. Well, thanks, Michael. And good luck with your future appearances in New York. And I'm, I'm going to hold fast to your belief that, you know, justice is coming for the New York state crimes as well as the federal crimes committed by Donald Trump. Well, you were certainly right about that because we have a dollar bet on that. <laughs> All right. I will see you soon, my friend. All right. Take care. Thank you, Glenn. And now for today's mea culpa. You know that we joke and call Donald the Mango Mussolini, but that's really who he is. And we need to realize that the lean towards authoritarianism didn't fade after the midterms. No, the sickness is still alive and well. Ron DeSantis is playing with his own version of fascism that he's calling anti-woke, but it's all very reminiscent of the Mussolini playbook. Foster a cult of personality, build your brand, I mean like Ted Cruz, DeSantis' brand is a fucking asshole. You vilify the press and you call all your enemies communists or socialists. Check. Like Trump, you split your party, call any election you don't win fraudulent and reinstate the death penalty. Check, check, and then check. And before you know it, you've got a fascist leader. What I can't figure out is the fascist worldview. It's just not any fun. But it's already prevalent in MAGA circles and amongst Fox News viewers. I mean, for God fucking sakes, they are happy to see certain people suffer. Complaining has become their favorite conversation. And the working class support the rich at their own peril. I mean, how many people have thrown their lives away on someone like Trump? They bend over for Trump because he is a boss. And here's a side note. The bootstraps metaphor was definitely conceived of by a boss. Now I'm betting that Tucker Carlson sees himself as a boss. But he's just a cog, not the wheel. Rupert Murdoch is the wheel. Rupert Murdoch is the boss. Tucker's just another entertainer with a catchy shtick. But like a boss, he has contempt for his audience. 
the little people who believe what he says. I mean, he's thinking what fucking idiots as he lies to them, twists them into pretzels, and infects them with fear and fascism. There have been pundits talking as if this could be the end of Fox News and are comparing the recent Dominion revelations to a watershed moment. Like when McCarthyism finally broke. And McCarthy was asked the question, have you no shame? I wonder if Tucker is going to go down like Joe McCarthy, or will he be more like his sidekick Roy Cohn? Roy Cohn got the slither away scot-free, so it's hard to say if Carlson's audience will hold him accountable. Now, truth be told, it would be great if there was no place in civil society for the Fox carpetbaggers to hide. But Fox viewers are loyal. I mean, they're fucking crazy because they're loyal and they're indoctrinated with fascist dogma. Today, they'll do anything for Tucker, but tomorrow they might hang him in the public square. One thing is for sure, Carlson didn't see the meltdown at Fox and decide to change. No, what did the fucker do? He doubled down. And why? Because he is a shameless motherfucker. He's just shameless. It was said of Mussolini that in the end, he was only attracted to anything that was more powerful and unscrupulous than he was. That's why Mussolini was crazy about Hitler. Just like Tucker Carlson is in love with Hungarian dictator Viktor Orban. I mean, Trump loves Putin. I mean, you see a pattern here, my friends? Bad men admire other bad men, and more importantly, they want to be like them. And if we don't hold the bad men accountable, we will be under their rule, held hostage by their lies, and eventually they will turn on us into people who they just don't like. So my friends, help me, because we cannot let this fascist motherfuckers win. We cannot let the fascists win. I will say this again and again and again on this program. Don't let the fascists win. And as always, thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mayor.